Good morning. My name is Jared Irvine. I'm the pastor of Junior High Ministries. And we hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. And I know that this year has been a difficult one. But perhaps going through adversity made this Thanksgiving even sweeter for you. But we're thankful for you. And we're thankful to be able to worship together this morning. Well, since it is after Thanksgiving, by world consensus, you can, uh, you can now officially listen to Christmas music. <laughs> Celebrate. That's right. So break out your Bing Crosby that you've stored away just for this month, your Michael Buble or whoever you listen to, and enjoy that Christmas music. Now we know there may even be people in our midst who have been listening to Christmas music since like July. Yeah, some elbows. I see that. <laughs> but for the rest of you, enjoy it. But I do have to make a confession. Is that, you know, when you're married, you have to, well, there's some negotiations that happen. And uh, full confession is that I've been listening to Christmas music for a couple of weeks already. I'm sorry. Hope you can forgive me. But uh, I do enjoy Christmas music. And one song that I, I do like is I'll Be Home for Christmas. You're familiar with it? It's a very popular song. But did you know that it was written in 1943 during World War II? And the perspective, the subject really of the song is a soldier who wants, who's promising really that he wants to be home, I'll be home for Christmas. And whomever he's writing to or communicating with, he's essentially saying, you know, make Christmas how it should be. You know, there's tree, lights, presents, the obvious things, right? And, but it's actually kind of a sad song because one of the last lines of the song is that I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. So the reality is he's a soldier, right? He can't go and come as he pleases. So he's under orders. And unfortunately, during wartime, you know, they don't just take a time out for a couple of weeks so that everyone can go home for Christmas. And so actually, really, this guy's not going to actually be able to come home for Christmas. But he says he will be home from, for Christmas one way or the other. If he's not there physically, he's there imaginatively. He's there in his, in his dreams. And so really, the theme of the song is this, this soldier or this guy who's longing and desiring to be somewhere. He's longing and desiring for something to happen, to be home for Christmas. Well, the season that we're entering into as a church today it's called Advent. And the theme of this season is this longing for something, this wanting something to come. You see, the word Advent comes from a Latin verb meaning to come to. And so it, it's about Israel who longed for, waited for, longly, eagerly anticipating the coming of the Messiah, this king that God promised through his prophets time and time again would come this deliverer, rescuer. 
And so Israel, what we do during Advent is we, in a sense, rehearse what Israel was longing for and hoping for. And then guess what? On December 25th, when we decide to celebrate the birth of Jesus, is that fact that the Messiah actually did come, that God fulfilled his promises. But during the Advent season, we, we again, we wait and we long for the Messiah to come. Well, that happened like 2,000 years ago. So why are we still celebrating it? Well, you see, in the 21st century, we still await what is called the second advent, the second coming of the Messiah. We, too, long for and want the Messiah to return, this king, this ruler, to finish what he had begun 2,000 years ago. And so you see, the cry of our hearts, the very cry of the church, still remains, is that come, Lord Jesus. Even today, we pray fervently that the Lord Jesus would return. But the amazing thing, and it is a great vantage and advantage that we have, to be on this side of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, to have already these great promises in the Old Testament and then actually in the Gospels to see them fulfilled is that we know that our God, our God who gives promises will fulfill them. Now, it may not always be in the time that we like, but God always comes through. And so, yes, he is yet to come still, but we know just like he fulfilled the first coming, he will fulfill the second coming. And this morning we're going to be looking at a prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 42. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 42. This is uh, one, of the f one of the great messianic prophecies. It's considered one of the four servant songs. So there's four of them in this section of Isaiah. This one's the first one in 42. There's one in 49, 50. And then, of course, the most famous one is Isaiah 53, which speaks about the suffering of the servant for the forgiveness of sin for uh, the people. And so this one is Isaiah 42. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning together. It says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you, and there's going to be four yous in this, in like two verses. They're all singular, speaking to the servant. 
I am the Lord. I have called you the servant in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So the main point this morning is that Jesus, God's servant, is the hope of the whole world. And we need hope, do we not, during this crazy year of 2020? But you see, we've, we've always needed hope. The world has always been broken. Far before the year 2020, this world has been broken. We've always lived in a broken world. But perhaps now there's more of a felt need that the world is, is actually broken and that we, maybe more than ever, are saying that prayer, come Lord Jesus, that we need his kingdom to fully come. You see, 2020 has had so many crazy things, and I don't even need to necessarily go through a list, but pandemic, yes, it doesn't even matter. Anyone on the internet who's watching this anywhere in the globe would say, yeah, we know about this virus. Everyone in the world has been affected by this. It's crazy to think that every sector of society has been affected. Then there were riots throughout our country. There was four million acres burned in this state. And we had this election, crazy election, that's still being contested in court to top it all off. What a year, 2020. But you know, hope is so amazing that we have. Christianity has great hope. And you know, hope is not this, this wishful thinking. It's certainty. It's certainty of this better future that God promises will come. And it's going to come through his servant. It's going to come through this Messiah, this ruler, this king, this savior, deliverer, rescuer. That God's future is certain, and it's based on his power. And in fact, verses 5 through 9 really is trying to supplement verses 1 through 4 by saying, this is going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. The creator God, the creator God is empowering and backing up this servant. The one who created heaven and earth. The one who gives every person on this planet breath. That's the one who's going to take this servant and is going to actually bring God's new earth. Bring God's new world. It's certainty based on his power. And it's also certain based on his character. Our God does not lie. Our God does not change. And our God only comes through. He does not fail. He never fails. So we know that this future is going to happen. 
And I get that when we see the world, we see the brokenness around us, we see human beings make the same mistakes time and time and time again, we can get cynical. We can begin to believe, is, that, is this really going to happen? Is that really going to happen? But this is where we need to go back to the promises of God and the character of God. The fact that God says it's going to happen and that he's going to make sure it's going to happen. Believe it. This is a hope that's not wishful thinking. It's certainty based on our amazing God. That our God has since Genesis 3, where an Adam and Eve sin has promised redemption. Where he says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. From that moment, God's mission has been to redeem the whole world, including you and me. That God's mission to reign through this king will happen. And so if you are feeling downcast because of this year, take the advice of Psalm 42, where he says, Why are you downcast, my soul? Hope in God. I will yet praise him, my salvation and my God. It's easy to look at the dark landscape of our world and become downcast. But just like the psalmist realized downcast in his own soul, in his own being, he says, wake up in a sense. Look up. Behold God. Look at him. That's where you draw strength. That's where you draw hope from. Not looking at the world. Not looking at yourself, but looking at our amazing God. And where does God direct our vision this morning? Well, he says it in the words, Behold my servant. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. Gaze upon Jesus. Intently cling to him. Don't let go of Jesus during this time. This is not the time to just let it go, but to draw closer to him. To draw closer to our Lord. This faithful, obedient servant of the Lord. Those like us who are disobedient and rebellious, Jesus is like no other. And so that's why he's our hope, because he is God's, in fact, perfect, chosen, and servant of the Lord. If this passage kind of sounds familiar to you, it's because God the Father echoed this passage in Jesus' baptism. You see, Jesus went down to the River Jordan to be baptized, and as he's coming out of the water, something incredible happened. Heaven opened up, and a voice from heaven declaring, pointing out, identifying this man who just came out of the water. And what does the voice say? He says, this is my son, which is a quotation from Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm of this king. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. 
which is an echo of this passage, my chosen in whom my soul delights. That God the Father in the baptism of Jesus points out and says, this is the one. He is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. He is the ruler. He is our Savior, Deliverer. And then in this passage, Jesus fulfills this perfectly because he says, I have put my spirit upon him. Well, what happens immediately after the baptism where, where God declares from heaven who Jesus is? The spirit of God descends upon Jesus. Just like this passage says, I have put my spirit upon him. And the spirit is God's empowerment for a mission. Because you see, Jesus lived 30 years of his life, but now he has this baptism. Now God's identifying who he is. And now the Spirit of God descends upon him. And Jesus now begins his ministry. What's his ministry? Well, he just pointed out, this is this king. He is the ruler, the deliverer. And so Jesus goes out and he now begins his ministry. And in Mark 1.14, he announces the good news, the gospel, which is the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. The gospel, the good news is that the king has arrived. That the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. He is the king. And then Jesus, his entire ministry is either proclaiming the kingdom of God or he's displaying the kingdom of God. And that's his miraculous healings. People from all over coming to him, him healing this broken world. Jesus gathering in the outcasts of society that everyone can enter the kingdom of God through him. Jesus casting out demons. And in fact, he says that if he casts out by the Spirit of God, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's displaying the power of the kingdom. Jesus' whole life was to declare and display the kingdom, which is through him. And that Jesus redeemed us from our sins, delivered us, rescued us, liberated us by his death on the cross, and then his victorious resurrection, which is the beginning of new creation. You see, at the end of Isaiah, in fact, this whole passage, at the end, God talks about a new creation. And Jesus has begun new creation. It's already started in his resurrection. He is the beginning of new creation. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Believers upon people like you and me. And we too become part of now this new creation that Jesus has started. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is in fact a new creation. It's already started. It's already begun. And during this time, the kingdom now is being built and now what we await is Jesus' glorious return. And he'll finish, theologians call it, consummation of the kingdom. He will finish, complete 
what he has, in fact, begun and what he is continuing to do now. You see, Jesus hasn't just ascended to heaven and just sitting down and not doing anything. No, he is at work. New creation. In fact, this whole room, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're listening on the internet online, this you are part of what Jesus is continuing to do. New creation. You are that. And in fact, God wants to, in fact, use us to make more new creations. That's why our church exists, right? To reach out, to raise up, and to reverence Christ together. That's new creation that happens. But we wait his second coming still. But what kind of person will this be? And I love this passage in Isaiah 42 because it then goes on to describe the manner of the servant. You think, you think that this guy is going to be this great ruler. Well, what's his character like? Is he just going to be this super hard tyrant? Look at this passage. Look how beautiful it describes what he's like. And really, what I love, look, vantage point that we have. We have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four glorious books that describe the person that shows the character of the servant, of our king. What a wealth that we have to have Jesus' life displayed before us in these Gospels. And really, they're an exposition of this passage because Jesus fulfills it perfectly. It says that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. That this servant is, a, is very modest. And you see, look how our, our Lord came into the earth. Was he born in a palace? Every Christmas we celebrate the fact that he's born in a stable. Our Lord came in that humble way. He could have chosen which way he came, but he wanted to come in the most humble manner. How does he enter into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry? Does he come on a white stallion? No. Intentionally, he chooses to take a donkey in. Our Lord is modest. He's humble. And one of the most amazing passages in Scripture is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped or to his advantage, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The servant of the Lord. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of humanity and men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Lord, this servant, is modest, he's humble. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. And look how Jesus treated the outcasts of society. The Gospels 
are chocked full of these passages where the religious leaders thought some people should remain excluded, but Jesus invited them to come near. And in fact, the lepers would come to him. Now these are people literally, I know some of us have experienced social isolation. These guys lived social isolation and they're literally outcasts. They cannot be near anyone and they come to Jesus and they, they preface a little bit because they don't know how he's going to respond perhaps, but they still come in faith and they say, if you are willing to heal, heal me. And Jesus, he says, I am willing. And he touches the leprous man, instead of leprosy coming to him, healing goes to the leprous person and they become well. Jesus is willing to associate with outcasts. He's gathering them in. There's another story in Luke 13 where this woman has a disabling spirit for 18 years. Some of you have probably dealt with some chronic pain. This woman has been bent over for 18 years and he's going to heal her, but it's on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders don't like that. And this is Jesus' response to them. He says, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Our Lord is good. We just sang about that. He is good. And he cares. He is gentle and kind. And so if you feel like a bruised reed after this year, or in life in general, through whatever you've gone through, our Lord is gentle. He is kind. If you don't think that you could walk and, and be in his presence, he is willing to forgive. He is willing to gather you in, to heal you. He won't turn you away. It says, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And I love the story of Peter, where Peter is not a good part of Peter, where he denies the Lord three times. But in John 21, there's a beautiful restoration of Peter. Does he fire him? Does he get rid of him? Does he say, you've disappointed me. Get out of here. I never want to see you again. No, he restores Peter. And if you feel like your faith is a flickering flame, it says he won't quench it. If you feel like you can't come to the Lord, know that forgiveness is available in him. His goodness is for you. He wants what is best for you. He loves you. Come to him. He is gentle. He is kind. He is humble. He is compassionate. We have these amazing words that always stand behind it, or in front of us, rather. Inspiring Christ-likeness. You see, when we see the beautiful character of Jesus, when we see the beautiful soul that he is, the beautiful person that he is, that inspires us to want to be like him. And when people see that in us, when they see humility, gentleness, kindness, goodness in you, you inspire other people to be like Christ. But behold the servant to love Jesus, to love who he is, to love our Lord and how good he is. 
That's how we inspire other people to be like Christ. We have to love Christ. We have to love and adore him. Well, they talk about a virus fatigue. But I'm more worried for a faith fatigue. That during this difficult time that maybe you've given up hope, you've given up faith, you've given up believing in the Lord. But hear these words from him in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He invites you to come to him. If you're feeling weary, if you're fearing, feeling burdened this year, look how he describes himself. He will give you rest if you come and bring your burdens to him. He is gentle and lowly. He will receive you. So hold on hope. Don't give up. God will fulfill his promises. And in these dark times, this is when our hope becomes so important to us, even more than normal. Because this, in fact, it could be a good thing, is that the glittering, the glamour of the world has been stripped away, and now what we have is we're hoping for God's new world. And we cling ever tighter to him. Our hope is not found in this broken world. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So hang on to him. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And so we are to be different than others. See, when others are angry or they're confused or they're despondent, they don't have hope like we have. We have hope and certainty that it's coming. And yes, it's, from a human point of view, that's understandable. But we have great hope in Jesus. Cling tighter to him during these times. We have a hope that will not fail. So rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel is coming, shall come to thee, O Israel. And one of the last words, one of the last red letter words in the Bible, the last statement Jesus says in Revelation 22 is that surely I'm coming soon. Be expectant. He's coming soon. And he said that 2,000 years ago. So easy on the soon part. But expectant. Why did he say soon? Because he could come in your generation. He could come. And he wants you to expect him to come. He wants you to hold on hope that he's coming. To not give up. And while we wait during this time, behold the servant. Look to him. For Jesus is the hope of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we are, we are grateful for Jesus. We're grateful 
that he came to earth. We're grateful for his death and resurrection. And Lord, we know he's coming again. Help us during this time to look to him, that he would fill our souls with joy, with gladness, with expectation of his coming. Lord, you are good, and we praise you this morning. We give you thanks. You have not abandoned us. You are with us. You are transforming us, and you will transform this world. You are our hope. May we trust in you. May we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.